0: Our Second Testament reading comes from the book of Colossians. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: It's been an interesting couple of weeks studying and pondering the scripture for today. After reading it through a number of times, I felt, I felt some heaviness come on me. The words and the concepts that are used are really quite deep. They're intense and they're striking. There's action language, there's legal language, there's military imagery. So the words I pulled out were Captive. Philosophy. Empty deceit. Elemental spirits. Ruler and authority. Circumcision. Buried. Raised from the dead. Dead in trespasses. Erasing the record. Legal demands. Nailed to the cross. Disarming. More rulers and authorities. Condemnation. Shadow. Disqualify. Self-abasement and puffed up. I'm already exhausted today. How about you? This is an extremely dense and significant, le- uh, significant lesson and worthy of our attention today. There is a lot going on in this scripture. A little about me. I grew up in the 1960s and the 1970s in a typical middle-class home in Falls Church, Virginia. That's a suburb of Washington, D.C., I'm the oldest of five kids born to two teachers. Both have passed away. Both of my parents grew up Catholic, but my dad denounced God and Catholicism and all organized religion, and we were brought up atheists. Dad denounced religion, but unfortunately for us kids, he didn't denounce the rules. So we grew up with rules. We grew up with the golden rule, which is not such a bad one do unto others as you would have others do unto you. We had proverbs to contend with, although we were just little atheist kids, so we didn't know they were proverbs. Spare the rod, spoil the child. And of course, the Ten Commandments do not lie to your parents, do not murder your siblings. Do not steal mom's chocolate or dad's Cheez Its, among others. We had all the rules in our house and in our lives and no God. Now, dad was a physicist, and so we were brought up in the sciences as well as philosophy. Physics is that traditional science that tends to bring those two together, it attempts to address the why of things, the big picture the existential stuff. And so this is how it was for me, too. I was a product of enlightenment-type thinking. Reason and logic ruled the day. And as opportunities came up to debate and test not only my reason and logic, but everyone else that I ran into, I engaged quite happily, and I still do. Critical thinking is very important for me, even today. In retrospect, though, I didn't really know what to do about the rules. Why the rules? Well, 40 years into this rule-based, no-God existence, I was living in Michigan, and after a series of very unusual life events, I ended up taking a trip through the Canadian Rockies. I met Jesus on that trip, and I committed my life to him. It was dramatic. It was intense and it was liberating. I delved into studying the Bible and began attending a very large church back in Michigan. And in fact, I read the entire Bible in that first summer, out loud, mostly in Mayberry State Park in Northville, Michigan, where I lived at the time. So there's a bunch of converted birds out there. I'm sure they've passed away, but they've... Sent down those songs through the generation. So if you happen to go there, please stop. Check it out. Check in with them. Maybe be a paw to the birds. But one lesson that I got out of even that very first re- reading of the Bible was that it's not about the rules. I was free of the rules, finally. And free indeed, I started attending a worldwide Bible study called Bible Study Fellowship. There were 300 women in that study that I attended. It was in a Baptist church in West Bloomfield, Michigan. And that first night, they laid out the rules. You can't speak during the study if you haven't written out your answers to the homework question. And I remember being internally outraged and thinking, Jesus isn't about the rules. You've got it all wrong. But I sucked it up because I wanted to be a part of that study. Regardless, I walked in freedom for a while. But then rules started creeping back in. Richard Twiss is an indigenous theologian and author of many books who also had a very dramatic conversion experience. And you can go online on YouTube and hear about it. Uh, In one of his YouTube videos from a national conference in 2011, he talks about his experience and then about what happened afterwards, which is where I want to go today. Here's what he says I found out I had to become a Christian, and that was different than following Jesus. Then I learned that I needed to become a Calvinist, then I became an Arminian. And then I became a dispensationalist. But then I spoke in tongues. And then I read the King James Version, because that's the only authorized English version of the Bible. But then I found out about the New American Revised Standard Version. Then I became a Presbyterian, then a Pentecostal, then a Nazarene, then Assembly of God, then a Methodist, and on the list went. He goes on. Then I found out God loved me, but he didn't like me. He didn't like my long hair, so the pastor said, cut your hair. Then the church said that he didn't like my drums because they were demonic. So no more drums, no powwows, no dancing, no rituals. That's all pagan and demonic. But then he says this. But it seemed pretty simple in the early times. I love Jesus. He loved me, and he delivered me. How profound and clear he is in this assessment, comparing freedom in Christ to the religious bondage he experienced in his environments. I don't know about you, but I can relate to some of Richard's experiences. Rules started creeping in for me no dancing, no drinking. And it was time to start praying for a husband because optimally women in the church are married with children and living in a home with a white picket fence. There's lots of books on that too. And you should read the Bible every day, preferably the Bible in a year plan. We learned how to squeeze in devotions into our lunch hour. And you have to be in a small group to grow. You can't rely on Sundays for that. You need accountability. And how much time are you devoting to prayer? Prayer is better when you're on your knees, for some reason. And you know what? As funny as it sounds to me today even, I started kind of enjoying the Barol's. After all, if I could buy into and follow these rules, then I could be just a little more confident that I was on the right path, couldn't I? Which made me super qualified to guide others. Can you spell puffed up? This is similar in many ways to what was happening in Colossae 2,000 years ago. Now, the philosophy that Paul was talking about, the empty deceit, that he was referring to that was encroaching into the new believers lives that was a little bit different actually there's a lot of debate about what was going on there and the exact nature of that philosophy was it Jewish mysticism was it purely Hellenistic was it uh, a little bit of a Jewish and pagan mix with some magic thrown in at the time there was a kind of a folk religion going around and in verse eighteen Paul refers to some self-abasing practice going on. And commentators speculate that that's something like fasting. So here they were fasting as preparation for visionary experiences and the invocation of angels. I found that a mouthful. Had to break that down. In other words, they bought into a formula that called on angels to appease the hostile powers that were causing them troubles. A little extra insurance, maybe, for these new believers. And that's the problem Paul addresses in this portion of Colossians. This philosophy of rules and formulas that people in the Colossian church were counting on, this fasting, this invoking of angels to help them alleviate their guilt, Their shame, their unworthy feelings for everything they knew they had done wrong in the past. This was undermining the sufficiency of Christ. They were making Christ just another intermediary between humans and God, another link to heaven, another option to deal with hostile powers, or as Jeremy called it last week, an add on. Paul's answer? It's a lie, an empty deceit, a bad philosophy. Look at verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. Every ruler and authority. Not just the good ones, but the bad ones too. How does that work? How is a good Christ the head of bad rulers and authorities. I struggled with that for some time. And actually, there's a whole sermon series in that. We can touch on it just a little bit here. This scripture that we read today is really the gospel in a nutshell. Paul reminds the Colossians about their baptism, and he describes it as a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. As Baptists, we are familiar with the baptism and forgiveness of sins that Paul is talking about in this passage. But something in this passage really stands out. Jesus didn't just erase the record of our sins that stood out against us. He erased the record with its legal demands and nailed it to the cross. This is the part that we don't often hear about This is often missed in our communities. What legal demands are tied to our sins? Maybe some guilt. Maybe some shame. Maybe some feelings of unworthiness because our sin is so bad. Here is what the voice of hostile authorities sounds like What you did is just too unforgivable. You are unlovable. You are unworthy. Or one I heard a lot growing up, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Powerful, hostile words. Jesus erased the record with its legal demands and nailed it to the cross. That is how Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and triumphed and became their head. He forgave our sins, but he also takes our shame, our guilt, and our unworthiness, our need to atone for ourselves, our legal demand that would keep us in bondage to the sin and to the hostile authorities who don't want us to let him nail them to the cross. But he does, he nails them to the cross. And the Colossians and us, we get to participate in that disarmament by realizing the sufficiency of Christ. What does that look like? I remember being in a Bible study at one time where a brother in Christ, who is a fairly new Christian, was talking about the transformation he was going through. And he talked of some financial shenanigans he had engaged in. Quite frankly, it was illegal stuff. And how he was dealing with it as a new Christian. He shared things that I thought were extremely humiliating. Too shameful. I was flabbergasted at his openness. And I saw no hint of shame in him whatsoever. This was something he had given over. He was making reparations, attending to the consequences of his actions many times over, as he felt God was telling him to do. But he was liberated from the hold of shame. You couldn't ask him a question that would shame him. There was just nothing that would shame him about that situation. It was very powerful to witness the gospel at work in an upfront and personal way. Brennan Manning is another theologian and author of the Ragamuffin Gospel. Have you read his book? No? I I highly recommend it. Uh, He writes this. The bending of the mind by the powers of this world has twisted the gospel of grace into religious bondage and distorted the image of God. The beauty of the ragamuffin gospel lies in the, in, in the insight it offers into Jesus, the essential tenderness of his heart, his way of looking at the world, his mode of relating to you and me. The Holy Spirit dwells within ordinary people, going about their everyday tasks, and they offer to the body of Christ trustworthy ideas about God's love for us, In every age, the church is saved by ragamuffins. Paul was a ragamuffin. His history of being a Pharisee, a legalist, an extreme legalist by his own confession, someone who persecuted and killed followers of Jesus, made him ripe to receive the gospel of grace. Brennan Manning, with his lifelong struggle with alcoholism, had an uncanny insight for us into the gospel of grace. He was a ragamuffin after God's own heart. What about us? As we go about our everyday tasks, can we be ragamuffins offering each other trustworthy ideas about God's love for us? Maybe doing a little theological hygiene together, as Jeremy suggested last week as well? Are you holding on to any rules right now? Or maybe the better question is, what rules are you holding on to? And how are they serving you? Are you growing in maturity, wisdom, and discernment? Or are you suffering under a weight of guilt, feeling shame, embracing unworthiness, atoning for yourself? And how is that serving you? Let's be reminded today of our baptism, our spiritual circumcision, and the sufficiency of Christ. Amen.